Hi, I'm Ran Levy. Welcome back to Malicious Life in collaboration with Cyber Reason. Quick note before we begin, this episode, as well as our part one episode on how to defend a bank, are based on an article written by our senior producer, Nate Nelson, for the website eTechly.com. In part one of our episodes on how to defend a bank, I introduced some of the reasons why it's so difficult for us on the outside to make sense of just how complicated it is to protect a financial institution in today's world. My name is Sam Curry. I am Chief Security Officer for Cyber Reason. Sam used to work in this field, which is why he's again helping us in this second episode. One of my first principles in security is that uh, much as we can, you know, imagine what it's like to be uh, a defender in a cyber conflict, we don't, we don't know what it is, even if we've been through it somewhere else, unless we're in the shoes at the time of it happening. Connor Jones was working in the Human Resources Department at Bain & Ox, a Fortune 100 financial services company, when he received an ominous call. In an article for IT Pro, he wrote, quote, The first call came through loudly and abruptly. Out of the six teams tasked with protecting the firm, we had to take the first call. We had to set the example. My teammate Jeremy and I looked at each other with dread. Neither of us wanted to take the call. We just stared at each other, both saying nothing, but our facial expressions were communicating just fine. You take it. No, you take it, we both said silently. The phone rang longer than a phone usually rings. End quote. Jones and his colleagues were responsible for gathering and disseminating information to other departments and teams in the company. Even before answering the phone, they knew that danger loomed ahead. His partner picked it up. A journalist was on the other end of the line. Quote, she claimed to have just been told that data belonging to millions of our customers was sprawled across the internet. She asked us for comment, as journalists tend to do. In a visible panic, spluttering and choking, Jeremy blurted out, no, before he'd even verified the information was legitimate, end quote. After the phone call ended, an eerie calm set over the room. Jones and his colleagues were packed in with two dozen other people sitting at computer monitors while waiting for the inevitable. The room was dark. Shiny black ceilings and floors accentuated by cool blue LED lights giant flat-screen HD TVs cover seemingly every wall with futuristic-looking displays showing data feeds and visualizations atop a world map. It had the look of a movie theater or a spaceship. All the pretty screens weren't of any use yet, though. They just had to wait. And then everything broke open. Quote, 
it wasn't just one loud phone ring that filled the room with its obnoxious noise. More came in, each more unwelcome than the last. Being part of HR, I was supposed to liaise with these teams and find out what they knew. But the flurry of activity was so distracting that I could barely collect my thoughts, let alone follow a company-wide communication strategy. The individual teams were tasked with working together to combine what we knew into a coherent picture. We all had received phone calls from different external sources, and we were supposed to analyze those at pace while communicating it to other departments. The big picture was that the initial data leak had led to a much more serious cyber attack, of which we were in the midst. End quote. Bain and Ox had suffered a large-scale data breach. Financial records and information on millions of customers were dumped online. Social media was alight. In the cacophony of incoming calls, tweets, new information and shouts among team members, it was difficult to piece together a coherent story. Quote, Specific details were scarce, but information sourced from another team revealed that hackers had managed to cripple company systems, even leading to some employees being trapped in a lift. Reporters were also at the front doors of our headquarters, demanding answers to the rumors. Our IT team crumbled under pressure. The sheer number of status reports coming in, some of which provided conflicting information, meant that many teams started to ignore calls that came in in an attempt to avoid making the situation any worse. It was simply impossible to know what information was true. End quote. Jones and his colleagues knew they were going to face a major data breach, but they hadn't quite prepared for it. Suppressing an event of this scale was hardly something they could plan out in advance. So they tried their best while frantically sweeping up the mess. The chaos stopped when news broke that the press had run with the story. Bain and Ox had failed to contain their problem, and now the public had full knowledge of their spectacular failure. That's when the exercise directors stepped in. If you were to step just outside Bain and Ox's cybersecurity war room, you'd land on pavement, or maybe grass. Actually, you wouldn't have been inside a Bain and Ox facility in the first place. They're just a made-up bank. Jones is a journalist. His role in HR was merely delegated to him for the extent of the cybersecurity exercise that he and other UK journalists participated in during January of 2019. The 18-wheeler truck which housed that simulation is called the Cyber Tactical Operations Center, or CTAC. The CTAC was developed by IBM in collaboration with the U.S. Air Force as part of their X-Force Threat Intelligence Unit. It's probably one of the sexiest, most high-tech commercial vehicles in the world. It's also among the most expensive. The facility it was modeled after, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, cost around $200 million to construct. 
SeaTac weighs about 23 tons and it has retractable wings on either side which expand to make room when parked. It travels around the world teaching and scaring security professionals, students and journalists along its path. Cybersecurity simulations were originally inspired by military wargaming. They come in two forms, those carried out in simulated environments and those carried out on real-world systems. CTAC is an example of the former. It's what we call a cyber range, like a firing range, but for digital weapons. The latter is red teaming. In American military wargaming, the US is always the blue team and the red team is always the bad guys, hence the name. Sam Curry. So red teaming, I love the colors in, in my industry, right? We have white hats and black hats and gray hats and then red teams and blue teams. I'm going to introduce some more too, like purple teams. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of red teaming is to make the blue team stronger. Uh, I've seen some toxic situations where management asks the question, is security doing its job? How do I know? And they think the red team, if it's successful, proves that the, the, that the defense, the blue team and, and security program are incompetent. That is not the case. I sometimes draw an example to a basketball game. If, if you see, you know, on a ESPN news or something, you see a clip of a basketball game and it's just one basket and you freeze frame it there. You don't listen to the rest of the report and you say, okay, that guy just scored a basket. Now you say, who won the game? You don't have enough info. You've just got, a, you've got two points, maybe three, out of perhaps 100 to 200 points in the game. You don't have enough data. And then you say, so based on just this, this play, who, who's the season champion? You also don't know what happened with other teams or you know, how, how they went on. You just don't have enough in that you know, up to 24 seconds to make that play. And so red teaming for me is best when it is done frequently and often, and it's not used to bayonet the blue team. To carry out a red team exercise, an organization must delegate a group of capable people, either employees or more often a third-party group, to play hackers. The red team must come up with a way to reach the target, and the blue team must stop them. Red team exercises are executed on real-life IT systems. A red teamer might breach the most critical center of a company's actual IT infrastructure. Instead of crippling it, they note their results and what a malicious hacker could have done. Alternatively, red teamers might hack their target's systems with a specially crafted malware, one with all the spreading power of a real malicious program, but none of the damaging payload. Red team exercises are most effective when kept a secret from the security teams responsible for defending against them. However, most corporations can't afford to shut down their systems even temporarily. This is especially true in critical industries such as electricity and water. So some corporations use creative constraints when devising exercises. What distinguishes cyber ranges from red team exercises is the nature of those constraints. In a cyber range exercise, a sandbox environment mimics the organization's real-life systems. CTAC is an entirely fictional reality that nonetheless allows participants to experience what it would be like to battle a major cyber incident in the real world. Unfortunately, cyber rangers tend not to be fully comprehensive. 
to even attempt to recreate major corporations' IT infrastructure would take months, even years, and millions of dollars. Instead, exercise leaders have to strategically cut corners by focusing on select areas of an IT network or by papering over certain aspects of the experience. IBM, for example, does not build an elevator and put people inside it to properly simulate a hacked elevator system. Instead, they dictate that part of the story as they do other components of the exercise. A majority of the exercise described in ID Pro was merely stagecraft. The reporters, regulators, and Bain executives who called in were actors. The social media posts were pre-written. Every detail of the exercise gave the illusion that it was real. Wells Fargo is one of the real-life banks that operates its own cyber range, perhaps even more sophisticated than CTOC. The company has gradually developed more elaborate simulations over recent years with help from military-industrial subcontractors. Speaking to an online magazine called American Banker, their chief information security officer explained, quote, It's almost like building blocks, because you wouldn't go and try to do the entire network at first. It might take you years. But maybe you do payment systems, maybe you do ADMs, maybe you do SWIFT, maybe you do routers, end quote. As Wells Fargo builds out their cyber sandbox, they conduct fresh exercises every quarter of the year. As Sam explains, this continuous practicing, both team penetration testing and in cyber ranges, is a key factor in improving the organization's security posture. So imagine if, um, imagine if you, let's go back to my, my basketball analogy. Imagine if you've got a basketball team, you say, okay, guys, we're going to practice defense. I want, you know, the people with the white pennies to go after the people with the blue pennies over here. Um, see if you can hit the basket. And they, and they fail to make the basket. You go, okay, practice over. We can all go home. Right? No. It takes multiple attempts. And, and, it, and actually, the truth begins to emerge in the system that you care about how are they learning, how are they adapting, how are they playing the game. The game is not about any one attack. The game is about the whole program over time. And so I like to look at things like rates and first and second derivatives rather than whether one pen test failed or succeeded. You don't want to infer too much from that. And you really, really do it to learn and to get better, not to see if you're ready right now. Training security staff and simulating as many attack vectors as possible is critical because the potential damage involved in a finance industry hack is so massive, exceeded only by that of a government or critical industry hack. Overall, simulations can be highly effective in exposing holes in an organization's thinking, especially red team exercises, being less orchestrated and limited than cyber range simulations. Financial organizations like the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, and the U.S. Treasury regularly host industry-wide simulated cyber exercises. These cyber range exercise events draw hundreds of participants from dozens of financial institutions, and that number grows each year. 
All those people don't just come for learning, though. Simulations can be fun. If SeaTac weren't so stressful, it would have all the trappings of a pretty interesting amusement park attraction. On the other hand, simulations are an insufficient approach to addressing the broad threat landscape financial institutions have to cover. There is simply no good way to reenact every possible hacking scenario a major corporation could face. Wells Fargo might patch up every hole exposed by a very well-executed exercise. But by the end of it, there are many other possible holes. The size of these institutions means hacks can come in any direction by any means imaginable with all kinds of unforeseen consequences. What does that mean for organizations that consider using simulations as part of their cybersecurity training? If simulations are incapable of addressing all the possible threats a financial organization faces, is it even worth it for the organization to pour money into running these simulations? Well, Yes, in most cases. For small banks, it won't make much sense. The kind of threats they face just don't scale to that level of solution. For large financial institutions, drastic measures are necessary. It certainly is expensive to build sophisticated, diverse cyber ranges that take the time and energy of dozens of paid employees. But investing in cybersecurity will almost always end up cheaper than dealing with the consequences of not investing in cybersecurity. So, you know, the, the threats to banks, they're material, and that if they exceed a certain amount, it changes whether a business is worth doing. But what we should be doing collectively is saying, um, how do we equip you to make risk-based decisions better? How do we societally... Uh, avoid bayonetting the wounded when you are victimized, but also ensure that you are learning from when it goes wrong. It's not okay to walk away and say, well, it was inevitable. There have to be some anti-fragility, some resilience, some segmentation things that can be done. I call it right of bang. Other people call it that as well. It's the after the unthinkable happens. How do you minimize the damage? How do you recover? And then how do you repair? We spend a lot of time talking about prevention and detection mindsets and left of bang, but we also have to pay attention to right of bang. And my sincere hope is that Capital One has learned from this and that they can articulate the lessons. I, I care less about bayoneting the wounded than I do about that there are lessons and they've learned from. This right of bang concept is important. In our Equifax episodes, you heard about how a lack of preparedness caused the company huge amounts of money and bad press. Since the release of that show, Equifax reached a settlement regarding their 2017 breach, in which they'll have to forfeit about $700 million in damages. That's up to $20,000 per customer affected. Now, how many fusion centers could $700 million have bought? How many red team simulations? When you're about to give an important speech or take a game-winning free throw, what do people tell you? Picture everyone cheering, picture that ball going in. 
Visualization, so the thinking goes, is crucial to success because it allows you to calm yourself before a major event, therefore making that positive outcome more likely to occur. In cybersecurity, the opposite is true. It is because we imagine things will always go smoothly that we fail to properly secure important expensive systems. If you picture everything going wrong, you're much more likely to be prepared when everything inevitably does go wrong. That, in a sense, is what simulations are for. A simulation can't account for every possible vulnerability an organization faces. But if CTOC and MasterCard's Fusion Center teach us anything, is that right-of-bank protocol isn't really about technical issues. It's about the flood of calls that come in from angry clients and customers, about coordinating between teams and being quicker and more efficient than your attacker. There will always be people in the room smart enough to figure out what exactly happened to the servers and how to fix it, but what's more valuable and more rare is having a cool head in the face of a disaster. If you've lived through a cyber exercise, the next data breach you face won't seem so new. You'll have experience to build on. Your blood pressure will be slightly lower than it otherwise would be. When hundreds of millions of dollars are on the line, the most valuable asset is a cool head. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. We had some interesting Twitter discussions this week. For example, in our previous episode, I told you about fusion centers, the sophisticated and naturally expensive war rooms that financial institutions build to prepare and defend against cyber attacks. On Twitter, we asked you, do you think fusion centers can help banks face cyber attacks, or is it just a waste of money? The poll results were very decisive. 84% of you think that, yes, fusion centers are effective and worth the investment. For example, JJ Baby from the UK wrote, quote, Fusion centers speeds up organization response times. Importantly, it also helps build a culture of security throughout the company as representatives of most departments are included in these fusion centers, bidirectional. Having a diverse background is good for problem solving. End quote. Footprint underscore zero added, quote, the more eyes that are monitoring, the better. Fusion centers are just that, relying on different sources to identify, analyze, gather, and share threat-related information. I want to set one at work, end quote. And finally, Stackmasher wrote, quote, collaboration is key to getting everyone moving together instead of teams working in bubbles. Think hive mind, end quote. Of course, nothing is perfect, and Iham Natag raised an interesting point. Quote, it would bring synergy between organizations. But could this hub be a bigger threat? 
As we know, cyber threats can come from former employees. As an individual would enhance its knowledge of the banking sector working in this hub, he could also identify a deeper weakness. End quote. In another thread, a listener asked me if I have any recommendations for a good book about cybersecurity. So I seize the opportunity and turn to you, our listeners, for your recommendations, since I could never hope to read all the books that come out in a year. We received many great recommendations, and I'll share only the highlights, and you can follow at MaliciousLife to find the rest of the thread. So DJ wrote, quote, Tribe of Hackers is a really good book that has a great overview of the industry from a lot of perspectives, end quote. Thanks, DJ. Tribe of Hackers was written by Marcus J. Carey and Jennifer Jen. Zorak from Sweden recommended Linux Basics for Hackers. Quote, getting started becoming a master hacker. Hacking is the most important skill set in the 21st century. Awesome books from Occupy the Web. End quote. Occupy the Web, in case you were wondering, is the pseudonym of the author who writes about himself or herself. Quote, Pentester, forensic investigator, and former college professor. Trained hackers at every branch of the U.S. military and intelligence. End quote. Sounds interesting. Lots more book recommendations in the Twitter thread. Look for at MaliciousLife or follow me at at RanLevy, R-A-N-L-E-V-I. Our website is malicious.life, where you'll find all of our past episodes and full transcripts. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. Thanks again to Cyber Reason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com. Bye-bye. Oh my God. CK Music. Music. Music.